want you to think with me for a moment about a disappointing delay that you've had in your past. Maybe you were in a rush to get somewhere on time. You've had this happen. And you come around a corner and you get caught in a traffic jam that holds you up for an hour. Not the kind of delay you were looking for. But I suppose it's even worse when the delay is because it comes from somebody that we know and trust. Um, I love my parents. They're with the Lord now. Excellent parents. But you know, it's interesting. I thought back. And one of the things that stands out in my mind, I remember uh, I, I played a lot of soccer. I always tell people, looking at me now, you may have to take it by faith. But I did play sports. Um, and I remember one game that they weren't there at the very moment I broke through a defensive line and scored the, game, the, the goal that actually won the game for our team. And as wonderful as it was, my parents weren't there. I still remember as a kid, that, that kind of delay from somebody can be very frustrating. How much worse when we feel that God has disappointed us because of his delays. So I want to read through the story with you. And, and, and I, I'm going to just read the first five verses to kind of set the scene. And, and I don't want you to read verse 6, okay? Promise me you will not look at verse 6. I, why am I even saying that, okay? But try not to, okay? I want you to fill in the blank for verse 6 when I get there, okay? Listen to what the text says. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It, this was the Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment. We find that out in the next chapter. Wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Okay, got it. Th this is some, a group that's close to Jesus. Matter of fact, Mary loves Jesus. The sisters therefore sent to him saying, and just so you know, location-wise... When they sent to Jesus, the messengers would have had to travel about three days to get to where Jesus was because he was up kind of east of Galilee, Sea of Galilee. The, so the sisters therefore sent to him saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Are you seeing love everywhere? Mary's going to anoint him in the next chapter. She loves him. Lazarus loves him. Everybody loves him, and Jesus loves him. Love, love, love all over the place. And when Jesus heard it, he said, and the messengers would have taken at least part of this message back to Mary and Martha, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified by it. And then just so you know what's going on here as the reader, John makes it very clear. Look at what he says in verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Now, are you getting it? This is a serious moment. Three days to get the message there. When they get there, they, they make this statement. And Jesus says, this sickness is not unto death. Jesus loves him. They love him. What do you expect verse 6 to say? 
Do you know what I'm expecting? Jesus is out of there quicker than you've ever seen in your life. Aren't you? I mean, look, he set us up for that. Love, 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 back and forth. They come, they say, and Jesus, look at what verse 6 says. This is like crazy. When therefore he heard that he was sick, okay, Lord, he stayed then two days longer in the place where he was. That's wacky. Like, come on, Jesus. If you would have talked to me, I could have helped you with this one. I want to set up the chronology for you, and I don't want to answer the question yet. Why, if there's so much love and someone you care for is sick, would you possibly delay? Do you see? Here's the chronology. I'm going to use steps. The message comes from the ladies, from Mary and Martha, that their brother is sick. How many days did I say it took to get there? Three. One, two, three. They're there. They give the message to Jesus. Jesus waits how many days? Two more days. And we know as you put the chronology together, Lazarus dies probably right around here. Day four. Three days to get there. Fourth day, he dies. Jesus doesn't go on the third day. Jesus doesn't even go on the fourth day, the day he died. Jesus waits till the fifth day. Takes three more days till he gets there. Which is why twice in the chapter, the text will say, Jesus gets there. Lazarus has been dead for how long? Four days. Do you see? Because Jesus took three days to get there. Lazarus died one day earlier. But Jesus got the news the day before that. What in the world is going on? We'll come back to the two-day thing when we get to the tomb. So notice what happens here. You've got to love. Don't you just love the disciples? Aren't they so much like us? I mean, like, everything they say here is wrong. I just, I mean, it's, it's, it's so terrific. I, I just, don't tell me there's not humor in the Scripture. Just do not tell me that. When therefore he heard that he was sick, he stayed two days. In verse 7, then after this he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. And these guys are realists. The disciples said, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? In the very last chapter, chapter 10, they were up there. They wanted to stone him in Judea, in Jerusalem. And he's going to go to Bethany, which is right outside of Jerusalem. And they're going like, that doesn't sound like a very good idea to me. That's realistic, isn't it? I get that. And Jesus says, look, there's 12 hours in the day. If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. And basically what he tells them in verses 9, 10, 11 is this. When you are a person of truth walking in the very way of God, it's always the right thing to do. It is not a time of stumbling. It is a time of direction and obedience to God. That's exactly what you need to do. And they just go, okay, okay, like whatever, right? And then notice what happens 
in verse 11. So they're thinking, okay, Jesus, you're the truth, the way, the way, truth, and life. You want to go do, okay, all right, got it, verse 11. He says to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go that I may awaken Mama out of sleep. Now, what are you thinking then? If you're a disciple, you're going like, if he's sick, and normally when you have a fever, you have a hard time sleeping, so that's not a good thing. But when you finally sleep, that's actually a good thing. And they're just saying, um, he'll be fine. Let's just let him wake up whenever. Right? I mean, you're going to like, I mean, that's what they're thinking. <laughs> and Jesus was actually not speaking of that kind of sleep, was he? Physical sleep. But they thought that he was speaking of literal sleep. Then Jesus says to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So, so Jesus says, this is ultimately going to be good for you. And what, what you might think at that point is the disciples might be saying like, yeah, let's go see this great miracle. But all they can hear is like, we're going into really dangerous territory, and they're hearing the word death, and that's the only thing that registers. Look at what Thomas says. It's the only thing that, that, that he re registers with him. My goodness, it's unbelievable. Thomas, therefore, says, who is called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let us go up also that we may die with him. I mean, that's all they get. They're almost clueless, not quite, but pretty close. In the story, they fade. And two women take center stage. And in encountering Jesus and in teaching them, we encounter Jesus. And we learn to. So, you notice there then, he's dealt with the disciples, now he's going to deal with Martha. Look, look what the text says. Verse 17. So when Jesus had come, he found that they had already been in the tomb, that he had already been in the tomb for four days. Remember that? Right? So, Jesus leaves, takes him three days to get there, go back three days, a day before Lazarus had died. A day before that, he had heard the news. Okay? Keeping the chronology here. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. You know, you think about uh, funerals in our day. Not always, but often a funeral in that time is a time where you allow people to cry, but you also want to kind of stiff you know, have a stiff upper lip a little bit, right? I mean, if you go to a funeral, you want to be able to say, we're praying for you. He was a great person, or, or whatever. And, but you're trying to hold, you're, you're trying to be restrained, you know? I mean, that's kind of, seems to be American protocol. And yes, they can cry, but you want to be strong for them. Well, that's not the way they did it here. When someone died, they had a period of mourning after the death. And, and if you were a person of some wealth, not only would friends and family come, you would often hire other people to be mourners. And they would come. 
And so there will be all kinds of mourning and crying and weeping going on because it was a way of saying, we really miss this person. This person was significant. So very different from kind of the way we do it in this country. They were very expressive at this moment. And, and a, lot of, a lot of countries around the world still function in this way. It's not so much a stiff, stiff upper lip. So look at what Martha says, verse 20. When she heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. Martha therefore said in verse 21, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Do you realize that's almost verbatim what Mary's going to say to her shortly later? It's virtually, matter of fact, in the Greek, it's the exact same words, except they flip the word my, they put it in another place. But it's saying the exact same thing, which tells me they had been talking before Jesus ever came. And in their hearts, they were disappointed at some level because they kept saying, if Jesus would have been here, we know he would have healed him. He would have never died. Oh, man, just disappointed. So the first words out of both of their mouths is virtually the same thing. But Martha's a person of faith. She loves Jesus. Confused, uncertain, wondering why God allowed all this time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she's still a person. She's definitely a person of faith. Look what she goes on to say very quickly after she shows a little bit of frustration. Verse 22. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. I'm not questioning, Lord, your intimate relationship with the Father. I know whatever you ask, you get. Now, I want to say something, folks. When she said that, she was not expecting Christ to, to, to resuscitate her, her, her brother at this point. How do I know that? Because later when they're standing at the tomb, Jesus says, Take the stone away. She leans over and says, it's going to get pretty stinky. He's been dead four days. This isn't the way we mourn, Lord. She wasn't expecting it. She was just saying in this verse, Lord, I'm not questioning your relationship with the Father. I, I, I understand that. I, I just, I don't understand this. You see? And here's what's interesting to me, folks. Let me tell you what Jesus doesn't do. He could have at that point looked at her and said, Martha, I'm going to resuscitate your brother right now. Because that's the most important thing that you need to learn above everything else is that I can bring people back from the grave. So they can live and then die again. That. So, I just want you to be real clear on, is that what he does? He actually doesn't talk about that directly. Maybe a little bit in veiled ways. He talks about the ultimate fulfillment of that. And I'm going to come back to why that's important. Look at what Jesus says. Jesus said, your brother will rise again. And yeah, that's true at one level, but his ultimate when Lazarus came out of that grave, Lazarus died again, didn't he, folks? That was a resuscitation, but it was not his ultimate resurrection. 
your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And then Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said, yes, Lord. I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. Jesus used this moment, folks, not to directly talk about what he was going to do with Lazarus' body in just a few moments. Jesus used this to point to what that pointed to, which is, Mary, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe that? Even in the midst of a place where all you've seen is death, Yes, Lord, I believe. So that the pointer, the sign, will only re reinforce the ultimate reality. Do you see? It's brilliant what Jesus does here. He points her to himself. Even though her brother has just died. And she says, yes, Lord, you are the resurrection. Notice what he does next with Mary. I guess that kind, of, kind of one of the words I would put over Martha is Jesus gives us hope. Doesn't he? Wherever you find yourself, whatever you've gone through, whatever loved one you've lost, whatever you're experiencing yourself, Regardless of what happens in that moment with us, here is the reality and the hope. He is the resurrection and the life. Do you see that? Whatever happens for us, that will never change. Martha, have hope. Look what he does with Mary in the next section. When she had, and when she had said this, Martha, to Jesus, she went away and called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, the teacher is here and is calling for you. So she rises quickly there in verse 29. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Mary, Martha, had met him, so she had to go out there. The Jews also who were with her in the house, consoling her, when they saw her going, they followed her. And they figured, they figured, Everybody was going to kind of go running all the way over to the tomb and we'll just have more of a mourning, weeping experience at the tomb. Get as close to the body as you can. Don't open, the, for heaven's sakes, don't open that stone. But let's mourn there. I mean, that, that's what the people are thinking. Verse 32. Therefore, when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him fell at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Same thing, isn't it? God, I don't understand. I, I don't, I just, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't get it. I just don't get it. 
And, and I want to make a correction in, in, in the translations here because I, I think something is missed. This is really important. Look at verse 33. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, my text says he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. That expression, deeply moved in spirit, is used twice in this chapter. The other times it's used in the New Testament, it is better translated being outraged, angered. And can I suggest to you, when Mary is there wondering and weeping and the people around her weeping, and Jesus looks at her, there's something inside of him that becomes outraged. At her? No. Because it also says, the next section, he's troubled in spirit. So there's this empathy and pain and sorrow, but there's also outrage. So my question is, outrage with what? Because it's going to be used again, the same term at the tomb. And I think it's outraged with all of the pain and sorrow that comes from a world that's marked by death. We were never created to die, were we? It was sin that plunged us into a world with so much pain and sorrow and hurt. And Jesus in that moment, he is, he is angered deeply with a world that is upside down, which is out of kilter, where people die and separation and pain. And, and it outrages him. And he also empathizes with those that are victims of it. It, 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 I was trying to come up with an analogy. The only thing I could, Sherry and I were talking about this. I remember a couple of years ago we were watching some movies about the allies when they came in and they, they, they found some of the Jewish concentration camps. And, 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 and how those soldiers felt when they walked into those camps. And what you found is on the one hand, they were outraged. That, that Nazis would do this to human beings. It just angered them. And yet at the same moment, they were, they were just sorrowful and empathetic for all the victims there. You, you know what I'm saying? That's how Jesus was feeling in that moment. He knows he's going to resurrect Lazarus in just a couple minutes. He's not. In just a moment here, the Bible tells us Jesus wept. Jesus wasn't saying like, man, I really miss Lazarus. <laughs> really? <laughs> he's going to bring him out of the grave here in just a couple minutes. Now, that's not what he's doing. He is so entered into this world of sorrow and pain that he says, death must be conquered. As I see the victims all around me. And so, verse 33, verse 34, 
He then said, where have you laid him? And, and folks, when he says, where have you laid him? Nobody is still thinking of a resurrection, of a resuscitation. They're just thinking, Jesus wants to get as close to him as possible. Let's go to the tomb and keep weeping. They said to him, Lord, come and see. And then the verse that we all liked to memorize first of all verses, because it was so short, verse 35, Jesus wept. And so the Jews were saying, behold how he loved him. And some of them were saying, could not this man who opened the eyes of him who was blind have kept this man also from dying? So everybody is questioning Jesus' timing, aren't they? Couldn't, Lord, if you had been here, Lord, if you had been here, hey, you kind of did that blind man thing, didn't you? You could have done something with him, pal. But it does appear like you loved him. So we'll give you that. Which brings us to the tomb, verse 38. Jesus, therefore, again, same word, the, the outrage word, there it is, being deeply moved within himself. He stands at the tomb and he realizes the last enemy that must be destroyed is death. And he's outraged over all that means for humanity. And look at what he says. Came to the tomb. Now it was a cave and a stone was lying against it. Jesus said, remove the stone. And, and, and again, Martha is still not thinking. Oh, I think he's going to resurrect him. All she can say, Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. Jesus is going to respond to her. But here, folks, let me go through this chronology one more time with you. Don't miss this. Watch me. Three days, they get to Jesus. They tell Jesus what's going on. The very next day, Lazarus is going to die. Jesus waits one, two days before he leaves. Three days to get there. It's been four days since Lazarus died. Why didn't he just get there two days sooner? Do you know Lazarus would have still been dead at that time? There was a Jewish custom. We find it in some of the later Jewish writings, fair enough. But that Later custom, and I'm not saying Jesus believed this. He didn't do this for, because he believed it as much as he was doing it for his audience. But there was a Jewish belief that said, after a person dies, their spirit kind of hovers around them for about three days. And then once decon- then on that fourth day, person really becomes decomposed and all. That's it, man. Curtains at that particular point. First three days, eh, you know, maybe. Something, whatever. After that, You're out of there. I think what Jesus is doing in this text, he's working off of that custom without saying he thumbs up the custom. That's not the point. He wants people to know that when he does this miracle, this guy really is as dead as a doornail. And nobody would question it because it's been four days. 
Did Jesus resuscitate anybody else in the Gospels? Yes. But every other time, it was before they were buried. This guy has been buried, and his spirit, if you will, is gone, at least in, in the lore of the Jews. And so Jesus stands before a tomb where there is literally no hope, and he says, could you move the stone away? And, you know, Martha's going like, well, I guess we can, but it's going to stink. And then what does Jesus do? Verse 40, Jesus said to her, did I not say to you, if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they removed the stone, and Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou heard me. I, I knew that thou heardest me always, but because the people standing around me, I have said it publicly that they may believe that thou did send me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And out of the tomb comes Lazarus. Verse 45. Jesus says, unbind him, let him go. Verse 45. Many, therefore, the Jews who had come to Mary and had beheld what he had done, believed in him, but some went to the Pharisees to tell them what had actually happened. So, what do we learn? We learn a lot of stuff from this passage. But let me just highlight some general things. Make a couple comments on them and then I'll be done. Because here's one of my questions for you. Okay, Lazarus resuscitated, lived life, died again. Ultimately, he'll be resurrected. I get it, I get it, I get it. But folks, I have never seen a resuscitation. I've never seen somebody, and I have to tell you, I've prayed for him. I remember standing at the tomb, I'm not tomb, at the grave of my, my sister, when she passed away, and this has been 20 years, remember standing at her tomb, a tomb, I keep saying tomb, his was a tomb, this, this, hers was a grave, and praying that God would resuscitate her even then. I mean, I did. I mean, you probably have too. I, until they put that thing in and covered it up with dirt, man, I thought, I'm not going to stop praying, whatever. Does that mean that there's no reason for me to believe because God didn't do for me what he did for Mary and Martha? Oh, folks, no, not at all. Because if you keep reading through John's gospel, you'll get to John chapter 20, and coming out of the resurrection of the dead, we will find, after Jesus resurrects, we will find John, the writer of John's gospel, saying this. Jesus did a lot of other signs pointing to the reality of who he is. But for those who have not seen, that's us. At least for me, I haven't seen a resuscitation. For Doug Finkbeiner, who was not seen, I have put this story in so that you too might believe. 
No, I'm not an eyewitness of that. I'm an ear witness of an ear witness of an ear witness dot 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 of an eyewitness. But that's all I need. That's powerful, folks. Because the most important thing in this story is not that a man came out to live life again. The most important thing about this story is that Christ is the resurrection and the life. And what he does here points to the reality of that there. And I hear this story so my faith too is encouraged as I walk and will be resurrected one time day also. Do you see? The end of the day, what's most important is not the signpost, but the reality to which it, which it points. And one other thing. Christ enters into our pain and our sorrow by being outraged over what death has done and sin has done in this world. And by weeping with us, even as he points us to the only one himself who is the resurrection and the life. But he does something even more than that, doesn't he? The one who is the life dies so that he might give life. That seems kind of strange, doesn't it? I mean, it's, wow, it's paradoxical or something. Yeah, you're right. And as that old ancient uh, songwriter said, if I can remember how, how he said, um, death died when Jesus died. You got to go, yeah, think about that one for a little bit. Now, ultimately, it's because he resurrected. Fair enough. But that was the, that Christ enters into death and dies and then is resurrected, which, which shows me who he is, the resurrection and the life. This points to that. And one day, I, too, will have a resurrected body with him. Do you see? And this whole passage says, look, wherever you are, whatever you're facing, God may choose to change things right there in that situation. And we pray for that all the time. And we see God working often. But if he doesn't, it doesn't change the reality. He is the resurrection and the life. He empathizes with us. He destroys death by his death, burial, and resurrection. And he points us to himself. And when we struggle, he struggles with us. Man, I can take that one to the grave. And so can you. I don't think I'll read those other points. I think I just kind of said those. Let's pray. Father, What an incredible passage, Lord. Father, we are people of great hope because you are the resurrection and the life. 
which means you may intervene in our physical world and give healing or resuscitation as you see fit. And for that, Lord, we rejoice when we see it. But Father, whether we see it or not, may we never be disappointed with you, for you are the resurrection and the life. You have done these things in your earthly ministry. You have resurrected yourself. You're coming back one day, and you will give us a new body one day. Father, may we live in light of that. And may we realize that in our deepest grief, in our moments of deep pain, that death is no longer the victor. Death has been destroyed. Ultimately, we will all experience that. And those that are living who know you will never ultimately eternally die. And those of our, that we loved who have gone on to be with you, although they have died, they will live forever. So, Father, may we grieve in a world of great pain, but not like those without any hope, for we know the resurrection and the life. Christ, name I pray. Amen.